You're listening to Regen, formerly known as the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regen, visit rivercitychurch.us. The following sermon was originally recorded in the fall of 2017. We hope you enjoy the special bonus content from Regen. So, two different chapters. We're going to be looking at Hosea 4 and 5. And just to quickly recap, uh, last week we read from Hosea 3, and we learned about this amazing love story between the prophet Hosea and his wife, uh, whose name was Gomer. Great girl name. And uh, for those of you who are looking for girl names. Um, so, and then she, uh, she was a prostitute, though. And you're like, uh, what? So, what's, why, uh, so why, and he was commanded by God to marry this prostitute. And you're like, that's kind of crazy. Why would God do that? But of course, we need to understand the context. It's about, it's somewhere between 784 BC and 722 BC, somewhere in that range. Hosea's words span across 60 years. So, the chapter that we're going to read right now most likely came a little ways after chapter 3. Some time has passed. But the words are still the same. And uh, so this is the context that God has chosen a people for himself. He, uh, he chose a man named Abraham. We read about this in Genesis and says to Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through your family. And he wants to create a place for his people to fulfill his promises, right? So he says, I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. So he says, I'm going to establish you in this land that's called Canaan. It's on the coast of the Mediterranean. It is the modern day Israel and where the modern day nation of Israel is located. And that's where Hosea lives. And God calls him. Um, why? Because after sometime after Abraham, God gave his people a covenant. Turn to somebody and say covenant. Covenant, right? Some of you gaming nerds, you're like, is that like Halo? What does that mean? What does that mean? Covenant is means a promise. It is the opposite of a contract. It is, uh, it, it, whereas an agreement, a contract is an agreement that says, if you break this agreement, then I'm out of this agreement. A covenant says, if I break this agreement, then you're out. Then you, then you are free. It's, it, is a, it is a agreement that you cannot break. It is a self-imposed promise. And so God promises His people that He will walk with them if they will obey His law. He delivers his, this, this law to Moses. How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? You ever watch the old Cecil B. DeMille classic? Moses, you know. Um, maybe not. It's like from the 60s. Maybe it's on Netflix. I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's the classic uh, representation of Moses. Carlton Heston. God. Um, <laughs> If you've never seen it, then maybe it's not that funny. But um, it's, anyway, it's a great. Uh, that, that was like one of the first Hollywood representations of it. But so God delivers the Ten Commandments to His people and says, "I want you to abide by these rules and a number of other laws that He delivers as well." And He says, "I promise you, if you follow these rules, you will be blessed. The, even the land itself will flourish. There'll be more species of butterfly than you can imagine. It'll be so beautiful." Yeah, I don't. That wasn't actually in there at all. But God is promising that the land would flourish, that the people would flourish. Society would flourish. The economy would flourish. But if they disobeyed the law and intentionally turned away from God, then things were going to get hairy. Somebody say hairy. Hairy. That's a gross word. Anyway, um, so things were going to get hairy if they, uh, I know, I'm hairy, so I don't know why that's gross. I mean, I I'll think I'm, yeah, anyway, uh, I'll think I'm gross. Anyway, um, so here's the thing. And Hosea chapter 4 uh, basically begs this question. Is it bad? Okay, how many of you are squeamish when it comes to blood? Okay, 
Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few people. Um, so my wife Jamie, she is she is awesome. First of all, she is uh, she is yeah I mean, yeah you can amen that. Jamie is amazing, but she's and she's also like a trooper when it comes to other people's blood. Okay, because she she was a nanny for a few years and she it was a nanny to three three boys right. And if you know anything about little boys, there's a lot of blood involved. Not, not, not that there should be. It just happens. There's always accidents that happen. So Jamie was the one who's always like, all right, you put your brother's arm in a splint, and then you do the tourniquet, and then I'm going to be driving to the hospital. We're going to be fine. Just try to stop the blood from, from flowing, you know. She was fine with that. But Jamie's also the kind of person who, like, if she, like, sees her own blood, that's like, Ugh. In fact, I've heard that literally from her before. So she'll like, so like, if she gets injured, like she cuts her hand or something, she's always gonna point the like, put the hand in my direction, be like, what? And then she's gonna look away, and then she's gonna ask this question: Is it bad? Is it bad? Is it that bad? I don't want to look at it. Is it bad? Is my finger still there? You know, like those kinds of questions. Is it bad? And this isn't actually, so that's kind of the question that Hosea 4 and 5 really asked is, is it bad? Is it really that bad? And what I'm talking about is not an injury. What I'm talking about is the relationship between God and his people. And I think that oftentimes in our relationship with God and also in our relationship with other people, we tend to like to ask this question, is it really that bad? Is it that bad? Because, and, and we tend to be in the same way. It's one thing if you're squeamish about blood. That's fine. That's good. But if you're squeamish about um, confronting the issues in your life and in your relationships, and you're like, is it, and you like to just turn away and say, is it bad? You will not experience healing from God until we, you address that issue. Amen? So then, so Hosea's going to go right to the heart of the issue with the people of Israel. See, they have, because they have violated the covenant. Somebody say covenant. The covenant that God made with his people through Moses. So let's read this and, and we'll begin to unpack it together. Are you guys ready to hear from Hosea? Alright, let's do this. Hosea chapter 4. Why is my Bible not turned there? You'd think I'd actually be like prepared. Hosea chapter 4 and we're going to read all the way through, ver- or through chapter 5. So it's not all on the screen because it's just too much text. But I want you guys to listen to the words of the prophet. Here we go. Hosea 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. 
Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Verse 15, chapter 4. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Aven, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. How can the, or can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mitzpah and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. And now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Beth-Aven. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel I make known what is sure. Verse 10, the princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to hear what it is that you are saying through the scripture. God, help me to preach this faithfully and humbly and help us to understand what it means to really address what's going on between us and you and between us and others. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would uh, give us a heart of understanding and wisdom through this. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. So is it bad? When we look at the situation in Hosea, is it bad? Yeah, it's a little bad. It's a little on the bad side. Bad-ish. I'd say, you know... Anybody ever listen to Brian Reagan, the comedian? Um, horrific. Um, I'd rather have shards of glass in my eyes. Um, so it sounds pretty awful. Now, here's the thing about this. The language is very strong. And there's a reason for that. Is because when God would speak through a prophet, through a, a prophet which is literally a mouthpiece for God, he's trying to make a point. So if you're like, if you see somebody who is leading a self-destructive life and you say nothing, you're not being prophetic to that person. You're not being a prophet to that person. The Lord is calling out to to Israel through Hosea, and He's using the illustration of a relationship to to exemplify that. That's why you hear the word whore and whoredom come up a lot. You're like, oh, that's a nasty word. Yeah, God's using that word on purpose to illustrate a point to the people of Israel. 
And so let's, let's just tear this up a little bit, uh, tear open this passage a little and understand it. God's controversy is the first point. Let's, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we understand, first of all, the controversy. Somebody say controversy. 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 There's a controversy in Israel. And the controversy is, and the language here is really like the language, like legal language. Like God is presenting a case before Israel. He's saying to his people, look, I made this promise. I, I, I made this covenant. And you made this covenant with me. Okay? But here is the issue. First of all, there is not. There's a few things that are missing. And you can like list these things out if you want. And you can, you can read these through verses 1 through 3. First of all, there's no faithfulness. There is no Steadfast love, and there is no knowledge of God. So there's no faithfulness, right? The people of Israel are flighty. They're like, oh, shiny, and they like leave God because they got like spiritual ADD, right? They're just like here, there, and everywhere, okay? There's no faithfulness. There's no steadfastness in the people of Israel. Secondly, the, other, the second term is steadfast love. The word there is actually chesed. Somebody say chesed. You got to get the ch, okay? Chesed, okay? It's a... It's not of the, yeah, it's a chesed. There's no chesed. You know what, that, what chesed is? It's loving kindness. It's grace. It's the kind of, you know what chesed is? It's selfless, sacrificial love, the kind that God has shown to Israel. You go, I think God's really mad with Israel, and I think he's a big mean God. The fact that God is speaking to Israel shows that he's not mean. The fact that God is speaking to them through a prophet and saying, stop, stop trying to run away from the covenant you made with me. The fact that God is speaking is evidence that he's not mean. He's actually loving because he's going straight to the issue while the people of Israel are going, is it bad? Yes, it's bad. There's no faithfulness. There's no steadfast love. And then thirdly, there's no knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. Now, some of you guys are like, well, what the heck? Why don't they just like read a theology book or something then? If there's, no, if there's no knowledge of God, why don't they go to like Wikipedia and read about God? Then they'll like know about him, right? This is not like knowing in the sense of like, um, you know, having information. This is knowing. Okay, I think I'll straight it this way. Again, because relationships are the, are, are the kind of the currency that God's using here, right? This is kind of how he's speaking. I can know a lot about Jamie. I can know her favorite um, coffee is a venti ice green tea latte with almond milk and three pumps of classic. Okay, I know that about Jamie. I know, <laughs> I, I, know <laughs> I know her favorite tea. I can know a lot about her favorite TV shows. I can know a lot about her favorite books. Um, I can know a lot about her, um, you know, her favorite bands and so forth. Um, and, and but the fact is, it's not the same as knowing her as a person. Okay. I didn't, and, and, and those facts are not what brings me closer to Jamie, okay? Although they can help. If I buy her a venti ice cream tea latte with three pumps of classic and vanilla or an, an almond, then we're, you know, that's, that can help with the relationship. But it is not the end-all, be-all of my relationship with Jamie, okay? So this is not just about knowing a lot about God. It is actually knowing Him intimately and personally. The word there is, it, it, it conveys this sense of actually knowing God. And this, I like the way that the Evangelical Dictionary Biblical Theology puts it. It means acknowledging Him as Lord in obedience and praise. Acknowledging Him as Lord in obedience and praise. See, it's one thing to see, and the people of Israel are going, oh, yeah, yeah, we know God. We get, he gave us this covenant and, and Moses and the Ten Commandments and all this stuff. Yeah, we got all that. And God's going, no, you don't know me. You know about me, but you may know about me. Maybe you heard stuff that your parents told you, but you don't know me. And you need to know me because there is no knowledge of God in the land. 
And instead of faithfulness, instead of steadfast love, said, instead of knowledge of God, there is, here's what there is. Swearing. Some of you are like, um, how dare you tell me how to use my mouth? Who the hell are you? Uh, right? You're just, you, want to, you want to use language? How, who are you to tell me not to use strong language? God cares about how we speak because it actually betrays where you're from, just like an accent does. Right? If I, it, if I come up to you and said, hey, good night, mate, you want to throw another shrimp on the bobby, you might think either that's a really bad Australian accent or he's actually from Australia. <laughs> One of the two. Right? God cares about how his people speak with each other. There's lying in the land. There is murder in the land. There is stealing in the land of Israel. Adultery. There's people sleeping with each other outside the bounds of marriage. There is even property violation. He says there's no bounds. Now you're like, big deal. So like I built the fence a few inches over on my neighbor's yard. How is that like a huge violation of the covenant? Well, because back in those days, like agriculture is kind of a big deal. Anybody from a farming family? Yes? Okay. So you understand that like your land is kind of important because it grows like what you need to live. Back in those days when you grew grain, you didn't want to like trespass on somebody else's property because then you're like, take, essentially that means you're stealing from them because you just, you know, fudge a little bit on the property marker so that way you could try to make a little extra. So there was that happening as well. And there was violence. It says that blood touches blood. It's like this image of like these puddles of blood just. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to make a farting noise, but they, <laughs> like, blood just, like, blood is flowing in the land. Essentially, this society in Israel has become lawless because they have completely ignored the law of God. And what's the result? What's the result of all this? And see, because you, you might think to yourself, okay, well, I'm not like that, though. So how does this even relate to me? How does this 2,700-year-old text relate to me? I have never murdered it. Some of you are like, I'm a good person. I've literally never murdered anyone in my life. Okay? You know what? I really thought about it a couple times with my little bro. But, like, there's like, some of you have seriously considered it, but you never actually did it. But that's the problem is that Jesus says that that he actually equates mur- hatred with murder. Whenever you hate your brother in your heart, it's the same as murder. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. Look it up. He talks about this and it, that the way that we actually interact with others is a reflection of how our relationship with God is. Hello? So that actually is important, how we talk to each other and how we treat each other. See, see, God is not just upset about the fact that, okay, there's, uh, you know, there's not a bunch of people who are going to theology school in Israel. It's not about that. It's about the fact that they are not treating each other as His commandments laid out because He actually wants what's best for you. Anybody know that? So then, so who's responsible? Number two, God's culprit. Somebody say culprit. culprit. Who's the culprit? Who done it? Well, He says, first of all, that the priests and the prophets are responsible for what's going on. The spiritual leaders of the land, they were supposed to facilitate the knowledge of God. In Leviticus 21, we read about how the, the priests were actually supposed to be holy. Over and over in the book of Leviticus, which was like a pre- priestly handbook, you hear the terms, be holy because I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. He would tell this to the priests over and over. And the priest's job was pretty simple. They, they were, well, okay, there's actually a lot of rules to it. And if you want to read the book of Leviticus, you'll find out the exact job description. But, some, but basically it involved taking, helping people make sacrifices to God as an act of worship at the house of worship. Which at the time was a tent called the tent of meeting. God gave Moses instructions to build this tent so that he could dwell with his people. And in order for them to understand the severity of their sins, he had them commit, uh, do animal sacrifices 
And the priests would scatter the blood of the animal on the altar. And there were all these different uh, rites and rituals that were with it so that people could enter into God's presence. And so, but the priests are, number one, they are stumbling. And it says also that they are, he says also in um, chapter 4, that, uh, in verses 4 through 14, Hosea says that they're even eating, it says they feed on sin. Some translations actually say sin offerings. You're like, well, uh, big deal. So what's he doing? Like stealing from the, like when the money goes around a church, is he like taking a few bucks? He's like, I need some Starbucks later, you know. Like, is that what the priests are doing? It's almost in a way. Which is kind of gross. You're like, that's terrible. Who would do that? They're actually what they're actually doing. Is they, this is crazy. They would take like they were supposed to make us when somebody made an animal sacrifice for sin. The if you read, read about it in Leviticus four, they were supposed to take the animal and then be like, and kill it. And I know, I know that's like some of you guys are like I love like lambs and stuff. Why do I have to talk about this? And it's okay. It just. It's part, it's part of the whole system here. And, and read Leviticus if you really want to get into it and then ask me questions about it because, yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, so they were not supposed to eat the offering, though. They were supposed to burn it, and then the remains were supposed to go outside the city, right? And, that's, and it's as that the priests were eating the offering. They're just like, oh, man. And they, like, throw it on the altar, and it's, like, burning up. And they're like, hey, you want to get some? Like this? Look at this. Look at the hindquarters on that thing. That looks like a juicy steak. We should just grab that, you know? And they were actually <laughs> So they're, like, eating what was supposed to be an offering to God. They were also greedy for unjust gain. The point is there's injustice. And the people who are supposed to be spiritual leaders to the house of Israel were actually bringing them down. So here's the question. Who do you listen to in your life when it comes to spiritual leadership? Who is it that, that influences you the most? Because these, these guys thought they could just let it slide in the, in the way that they related to God. And then as a result... This is the thing, because poor spiritual leadership will lead to poor spiritual followers as well. Because then the people, it says he, he says that they have forsaken God completely. They are committing adultery. So again, lots of adultery going on. Lots of whoredom going on. People are sleeping with people who are not their, their husband or their wife. There is drunkenness going on. People are getting smashed every weekend. There's idolatry and even sexual immorality. This is the crazy thing, is, is, is too, is because in the, in the passage, he talks about how um, even the men are going in and they're having um, sexual relations with cult prostitutes. You're like, what, uh, excuse me, what is that? That's super, like, awkward. What happened is back then, um, the, the Canaanites who lived in the area worshipped a god called Baal. And they believed that Baal would bring the rain... If they, basically, if they went into a temple and had sex with a cult prostitute, then the rain would come. Makes sense, right? Like going, to, going to a temple, you're like, I should, like, I should have, go into a temple, have sex with a random stranger, and then it'll probably rain. Like, more than likely. So, because it happened last week when I did it, so it must have worked, right? So, and that's, I don't know exactly what the reasoning was behind it, but that's what they did. And so he's saying, this is not, and, and I, I like how God is, like, levels the playing field here. He's saying, all the people are guilty of this. The priests have led them into us. He says, let no one contend and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. Verse 4. You were supposed to lead these people into the worship of Yahweh, and you've led them astray. So, I know this is heavy, but don't worry. Don't worry. So the result is complete and utter ruin. That people without understanding shall come to ruin. But I love this. He says, in verse 6, he says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
The, la- the, fact that, the fact is, the people of Israel, and we need to recognize something in our own lives, the people of Israel were wrecked, were about to be wrecked, not because of, uh, not because of just like poor economic practices, not just because they were not very smart with money, not just because they weren't managing natural resources, but Hosea is prophesying a time of ruin for Israel, not because of that, but because they violated the promises that, that they made with God. And so there's, there's a, when we want, and, and we need to understand something very essential here, that there is a, a, there is a principle of scripture called reaping what you sow. It's not karma, okay? This, this is Christ, not karma, okay? So this is, this is not just about like, oh, if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. If you do bad things, then bad things will happen to you. No, if you remain faithful to God, you will be blessed. You may be shaken, but you will not be destroyed. You may be beaten down, but you still have Jesus. If you remain faithful to God, you will be blessed. Can I get an amen? amen. If you are not faithful to God, do not expect the heavens to open and millions of dollars in a Lamborghini to fall down. Okay? I'm not saying that's going to happen with God neither, but God's better than a Lamborghini. Amen? Just having Jesus in your life is enough. So the result is ruin. So what's God's contingency plan? Somebody say contingency. This will be the next part. God's contingency. First of all, he says, I'm going to contain the sin. See, the sin in Israel has gotten so bad to the point where he's like, I'm just going to have to cut it off. He says here in verse 15, Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth Aven, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like, what does that mean? Well, see, Israel at the time, they had gone through a civil war. There was a northern kingdom called Israel, and there was a southern kingdom called Judah. The people of Judah were continuing to follow generally, vaguely, God's covenant. The people of Israel were not. They kind of sucked at it, okay? And so they were, they were having a rough time and, uh, following God's covenant. So, he sent, so God said, in His mercy, He goes, okay, I am going just, okay, if you're going to continue in your sin... I'm going to keep it contained in Israel. Okay? How many know that God actually limits sin in the world? It says actually also in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world right now containing sin. Things are, I know that sometimes you think things are as bad as they possibly could be, but that is not true. God is actually at work in the world for the benefit of those who love Him. Romans 8.28, God is working all things together, even the evil for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? See, God is at work. In the world. But the problem is there was syncretism. Somebody say syncretism. Syncretism going on in Israel. In other words, they were trying to blend religions. The people of Israel are saying, oh, it's okay to worship Baal on Friday, but as long as Saturday morning comes, the Sabbath comes and we worship Yahweh, we're good, we're okay. And so they went to a place called Bethel uh, or Bethel. Um, and, and some people would say, and Bethel, literally, Bethel means the house of God. And this was a very sacred place to the Israelites because that's where their forefather, Jacob, met God. And so that was like a big place. But however, that, the center of worship in Israel was Jerusalem. Somebody say, Jerusalem. Okay? <laughs> that's like the right way to say it anyway. So the, the, the center of Israel, uh, the center of worship in Israel was Jerusalem. And so when the kingdom got split, Jerusalem ended up in the south. So they made a new worship center in the north called Bethel. But he actually, I, I love his language here because he says, don't go up to Bethel. Instead, he calls it Beth Aven. Does anybody know what Beth Aven means in Hebrew? No, that's okay. It means trouble, house of trouble, house of trouble. Did you know that sin actually brings trouble in your life? It's true. Did, did you know that sin brings trouble into your life? 
that sin is an entire house of trouble. That when you run, willingly run away from God, when you really, willingly, willingly run towards sin, it brings a whole house of trouble down on you. And the reason, and God does not want to keep you in that place. There's a reason that God gives a warning against sin in Scripture. It's because He doesn't want you in a house of trouble. He wants you in the house of God. So what's the end result? He's going to leave, this is the saddest thing, is that He is going to leave Israel to her devices. He just says, you know what? Uh, when, when their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. He's just saying, this has gotten so bad that I'm just going to have to let them go. Did you know that God, in His mercy, well, if you, can, if you, in your relationships, in any part of your life, if you decide to turn away from God and run from Him, He is not going to necessarily, He, he, will, contri- he will contain evil. But he was not necessary if you just keep on pushing and saying, well, I want my way. I don't want God's way. I don't want to do relationships God's way. I don't want to do finances God's way. I don't want to do family God's way. I want to do it my way. Well, eventually God will say, okay, fine, go do it. And then eventually you may hear the Holy Spirit ask you a question that goes something like this. How's that working out for you? Hello. How is that working out for you? See, Galatians 6.8 says that um, this, is, this is, or talks about this, this theory of, of reaping what you sow. What you sow in your life will eventually reap fruit. And this is why, like last week, I was talking about the dangers of sex outside of marriage. This is why it's dangerous to get into debt. This is why it's, it's dangerous to break off relationships when things get too hard and you don't want to actually try to be a friend to somebody else. This is why it's dangerous to not love others is because eventually that will bear fruit in your life. And it's not the pretty kind. So, what's the consequence? This is the next part. So, his contingency plan is to contain it. But what's the consequence? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. This is actually just the entire chapter is, when he, is where he deals with the consequences. First of all, he says, Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. Priests. Say, somebody say priests. Priest. And king. Somebody say King. king. So he's talking about two different classes of people, spiritual and religious leaders, and then also political leaders. Leaders of the nation, he is calling them to accountability. He's calling them to accountability, and he says this, As your vultures have gone deep into slaughter, I will discipline all of them. And some of you guys are like, God is so mean. And they're like, no, God is, what God is doing is warning them. He's saying we're going to discipline them. Did you know that in Hebrews it says that God disciplines the one that he loves? God disciplines the one that he loves. So there may be something in your life where you're intentionally running away from God, where you don't want to like turn to Him or whatever, but the reason that thing, and then you go, why are things so difficult right now? And you're like, I, I, I know that I wasn't being wise in my finances, and I spent thousands of dollars, and, and now I'm in credit card debt up to my eyeballs, and I don't know what to do. Why is it so hard? Well, maybe because you spent thousands of dollars in credit card debt, you know? And sometimes we bear the weight of our sin because sin has consequences, and that's why God is warning His people. And I just want to tell you guys right now that this is reflected in our relationships with each other. See, God is not so much concerned, just, uh, He's not just concerned about them looking good on Sunday morning. He's not concerned about their outward appearance. He's concerned about how they're interacting with people on a day-to-day basis. And it's reflected in their relationship with God. So, and this is the sad thing. He says, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. Israel's gotten so deep into sin that they actually can't see God anymore. And 
And you can't get to a point in your life that is so low that you feel like you cannot see God anymore. It doesn't mean that He hasn't left you. Okay? Jesus said, Matthew 28, I, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you know Christ, He is always with you in every situation, but you can choose to put yourself in a place where you cannot see Him anymore. Did God cease to be God to the house of Israel? No. But he was going to, he's saying their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. They are actually incapable of coming back to me. They're incapable of it. They've been blinded by it. And the results are bad. So he says, sound the, blow the horn in Gibeah, sound the trumpet in Ramah. And he says, the princes of Judah become like those who move the landmark. People who are, remember how I talked about property lines earlier? And I'll pour out my wrath on them like water. So he's talking about desolation, wrath, and oppression. Basically three things. Desolation, wrath, and oppression. You're like, and some of you guys are like, this is uber heavy. Why do we have to even go here? Because this is, there's something very important at work here. And it's that you, when it comes to devotion to God, and you want to take, and you want to take your relationship with God and go, is it that bad? Sometimes we need to take a look at our relationship with God and actually ask that question. Is it bad? Is it good? Is it bad or is it good? And I think it's reflected in your relationship with other people. Why was God concerned about lying and stealing and adultery? Because your relationship with other people will actually reflect what your relationship with God is like. Make no mistake. So, actually, I want, I want to do a quick little um, illustration. Jim, can you come on up here for a second? All right, all right. So, Jim, why don't you... Yeah, Jim, yeah, he's the man. Could you stand, stand right here? Just stand right here. You're, you're pretty sturdy, right? You're not going to, like, move anywhere, right? Maybe. No, okay, you're not. You're, you're going to stay right there, okay? All right, I need, I need somebody else. I need another volunteer. I need, actually, I need two more. Hands, anybody. I'm going to start picking people. Cameron, all right, come on down. Come on down. Cameron, I want you to stand, like, uh, right over here. Okay. So, I need, yeah, one over here, one over here. Okay, I need, uh, I need one more person. Let's go. Vance, come on down. Come on down. All right, give it up for Vance. All right. So I want you to illustrate something. Okay. And I want you to do, um, what I want you to do is to stand next to Jim here. I want you to lock arms with him. Like interlock arms that you're hooked. You're, yeah, there you go. Okay. So now, um, <laughs> actually, we want other arm. Do the other side. Do the other side so that you're on this side of Jim. So Jim, why don't you turn and face everybody and then, yeah, there you go. And now, now, now lock arms. Okay, there you go. Face everybody, Vance. There you go. Okay, so there, this is, okay, this is the picture. Okay, so Vance is like the nation of Israel, Okay. And this, is, Jim is like God. Okay, I'm not saying that he is. I'm just saying he Although if you meet him, there are many great godly qualities about this man. Can I get an amen? He's like, he's a very good man. Anyway, this is, so he's like God. And then this over here, Cameron over here. Right? He's like, what did I get myself into? It's okay, we know you're all right. This is about, Cameron over here represents the different belief systems of the other, like, nations surrounding Israel. Okay? So he represents idolatry. Somebody say idolatry. Idolatry. So, so the thing is, like, now, Vance, Jim's not moving anywhere, but I want you to try to reach out towards Vance and try to hook arms with him, just standing where you are, without letting go of, of Jim. I want you to reach out, try to, try to hook arms with him. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's okay. Reach out all the way out and see if you can. Can you get him? No? Okay, so now you have a choice to do. What, what do you, yeah, now you have a choice. Because now you realize something. Uh, yeah, just hold that pose for a second. You can't reach, you can't have both Jim and Cameron... So you're going to have to make a choice. And I want you to go over to Cameron because this is how the story goes. Sorry. So now you're going to have to walk away from Jim and then you link arms with him. And so as much as you try to stretch yourself out, try to stretch out and try to get both of them. Try, try as much as you can. As, as, try to stretch out as far as you can. There is no possible way that you can have both. And the, a lot of time, Thank you, guys. Thank you. That's pretty much... That's, that's all I wanted to illustrate. Give him a big hand. 
I wanted to illustrate something that sometimes in, the, in, the, in their relationship with God, the people of Israel were like, I want God and this thing over here. I want God and Baal. I want God and cult prostitution. I want God and, but that's not the way that it's supposed to work. God didn't build it that way. Amen. That's not how he designed his relationship with you. Why? Because God is like a husband and, and his people are like his, his wife. He don't share you with nobody. God does not share you with somebody else. Can I get an amen? God does not want to share you with somebody else because he's a jealous God. Deuteronomy says that God is like a consuming fire. He is jealous for his people. He's like a husband who loves dearly. So what's Israel's response? They're like, oh, right. They're going to do it, right? They're going to turn back to God. Nope. No. See, uh, they, actually, Hosea says that they're going to, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, suddenly they wake up. Ephraim is just one of the tribes in Israel, so it's just kind of a poetic euphemism for Israel. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to God? When Ephraim went to, nope, he went to Assyria. Oh, great idea. And sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For you will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress, earnestly seek me. So their response is to run to Assyria. You know how that turned out? No bueno. Second, Second Kings 17, 1 through 23, it talks about how they went, to, they, they went to Assyria, right? Assyria is the most powerful nation in the world. And they, there was a time of distress that came after Hosea had prophesied this, okay? So he's prophesying about something that hasn't even happened yet. And then the people are like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble because we're being attacked by these other nations. We need help. What should we do? And maybe somebody like Hosea was like, maybe you should pray to God. And they're like, no, that's lame. Um, let's, let's, let's go to Assyria. They've got a huge army. It's huge, absolutely huge. We should go get help from them, and then they will solve our problems. The problem is, in 2 Kings 17, 1 through 23, we read about how the Assyrians came and helped them, and then we're like, oh, and by the way, uh, actually, we're just going to take over your country. And they're like, what? Uh, didn't count on that. And I guess, oh, okay, I guess we're going away to captivity now. And that's, that's it. <laughs> 722 BC, Assyria overruns Israel and carries everybody off. And that's how the story goes. But see, God's desire is not for that thing. He says he wants them to do two things. Seek, or well, he says, I want them to acknowledge their guilt, seek my face, and then earnestly seek me. Earnestly seek me. So, this is the thing. Idolatry can take many forms. It can take the form of your relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. It can take the form of movies. It can take the form of video games. It can take the form of lots of different things. But idolatry always brings ruin and mess into our lives. And the reason is because God designed us a certain way. He designed us to be in perfect relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. So this is the thing. How do you know when your relationship with God is bad? This is kind of the big question. And how can you make it right? See, and this is often, often reflected in our relationships with others. How we treat other people actually shows what we think about God. So if you are the person who is, you're like, my, I hate how other people talk about me and they do this and this. Maybe it's because you've been treating them as a gossip and you've been lying about them. You hate how people rip you off, but maybe you are the person who's been ripping off other people in secret and you think that nobody sees. But this scripture even says that God sees Ephraim. He sees Israel and he sees you and your situation. Maybe you're like, 
I, I, I'm not like a mean person, but underneath it all, you have resentment towards somebody in your life. All of those are indicators that there is an idol in your heart that has to get toppled. God wants to topple some idols in your heart. And this is the cool thing is that God is giving you and he is giving you a chance to repent. He's giving everybody here a chance to repent. And this is the cool thing is they may have looked for deliverance from all kinds of other areas. But ultimately deliverance comes from God. And we know this because 722 years after Hosea, there was a man named Jesus who came. And he said he looked at this whole situation with the people of Israel. He looked at this whole situation with the world that was lost in idolatry. And he said, you know what? I know that it's bad. I know that the relationship that God has with his people is bad. So I'm going to make it good. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come down. I'm going to live, the, live a perfect sinless life. And then I'm going to die on a cross in their place for their sins. So you wouldn't even have to worry about people eating sacrifices. Because I will be the final sacrifice. Jesus was going to come to pay this penalty for all of our sins. And then he was going to die, rise up from death three days later and prove that God is good, that he is better than any idol. And he can and will topple every idol in your heart. And at the end of all days, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Bottom line. That's what it's about, you guys. God is, and the reason that God is doing this is because he loves his people. He's doing it because he loves them. See, Hosea is speaking about something that he couldn't have even known about. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. So here's what I want you to, so I want you to ask this question. Just in a few minutes here, uh, or just for a couple minutes. I want you to just, how do you know when your relationship with God is bad? You don't have to like, if you don't feel comfortable saying my relationship with God is bad, then you don't have to. Just talk about some of the warning signs that you see. You can look through these chapters. You can look through other places in Scripture. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Mark that from out of the heart come deceitful things, right? Murder, sexual morality, those kinds of things. So what is it that's going on in your heart that can show that is that are warning signs about your relationship with God? Okay, so go ahead and turn uh, turn to a couple people, even if you don't have anything to say or whatever, just just listen to other people and talk about it, right? Go for it. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Regen. If you have any questions about Regen, feel free to shoot us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. Regen, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.